Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. So let me, let me do this, um, and I have no idea why. This is a message I have preached before at this church. I have a message here I was going to speak today. Uh, I'll speak this the next time I speak called Secret Sons. There was a great message that God gave me that was, um, there was three things that Jesus told his disciples that they do in secret. Give, pray, and fast. And uh, while I won't preach that message today, I'm going to preach it another time. But the, the power of that message, is looking at it, is that what the sons do in secret become a revelation of the Father who's in secret. How many know he's hidden from the world? He's concealed. They don't see him. But how many know that Jesus actually said, let your light shine before men so they see your heavenly Father? Okay, and so what the sons do is a revelation. And yet Jesus flips the script. And then he said, but make sure you don't do it to be seen. It's kind of like, whoa. And so he begins to talk about giving, and he talks about fasting, he talks about praying. And then there's also what you do in secret is your father rewards you. And let me know that the reward then becomes a revelation of the secret sons. And, and so, but that's not going to be a message for today. Amen? I'm just giving you a teaser. But what I am going to do is I'm going to revisit a message, and I don't know why. It came to me while we were singing this morning about the goodness of God. And God is good, right? And yet bad things happen, right? Sometimes we allow the bad things of our life to shape us. They shape our words. They shape our attitude. They can shape our outlook of God. They can out, uh, shape our outlook of other people. And um, so this morning, I just want to visit this message I preached a while ago. I don't know that I'll preach it the same way. And um, so those who are running the video, we have no keynote today. And Jen's like, yes, praise the Lord. All right. But, but let, me just, let me just talk to you um, about how... Life and things have a tendency to shape our outlook, shape our words, shape our attitudes, shape how we interact with other people. Um, this message is something I preached not too long ago at North Point, Micah, whenever you and I and Ryan were up at North Point Bible College. And so how many know that, that pain has a way of shaping your life sometimes? Pain has a way of causing you to say things. How many of you ever hit your finger with a hammer and said something? Huh? What did you say? Never mind. Okay. I, I, I remember when I introduced this message a while ago, it was uh, talking about women who were giving birth. All right. And some of the things that they said while they were giving birth. For example, Vicky said, I don't want a baby. I want an epidural. Maggie said it was about 2 p.m. and I was fighting off the urge to have an epidural because I wanted to deliver naturally. My husband started to doze off in the chair next to me. And just seeing his eyes shut threw me into a fit of rage. So I gave him a nice wake-up slap on the cheek. I still don't regret it. Okay. One said, after a long contraction, I said quietly, I'm going to set everyone in this room on fire. Everyone laughed, including the nurse. But I think my devoutly Christian mother-in-law started to cry. My favorite one. This is my, by far my favorite. When my dad was driving her to the hospital, he unfortunately had to stop for gas. He went in to pay, and just then an elderly man in a wheelchair stopped him, asking him to buy cigarettes for him as the store was not wheelchair accessible. My mom then proceeded to lean out of the window and yelled, Don't help the cripple! <laughs> it's like, pain will make you say crazy stuff. Amen? All right. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes in life, we're wounded, sometimes we have pain. It can be from a variety of things. It can be from the loss of a loved one, it can be loss of a child, a, a, um, a, a husband, a wife, or it can be other things that happen, rejection, it can be betrayal, it can be somebody leaving you. There's just things that cause pain. And um, it can be from a sibling, it can be from a spouse, a leaders, friends. Um, and sometimes it shapes our attitude, and it shapes, it'll even shape your prayers, have you ever prayed out, of, or prayed out of pain? Think about David, all right? David was a man who experienced pain in his life, the rejection of his son, the betrayal of his son, the betrayal of King Saul. And uh, I love what David says in Psalm 109, okay? He opens it up with this. He said, for they've opened their wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. They've surrounded me with words of hatred. They fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. 
They've repaid me evil for good. So this is what he's saying happened to him. Watch his prayer. This is David's repair. Appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. Hmm. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children wander about and beg. How many of that's just some jacked up praying? Like you're coming to God and you're praying for God. Let him die. Hi, Eli. Eli's waving to me. Hi, dude. What's happening, man? Right? He says, he prays. He says, let his posterity be cut off. In the following generation, let their name be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off their memory from the earth. I don't know about you, but that is some messed up praying. Can you imagine tomorrow you're going to go to your secret place, you're going to commune with the Father, and you're going to say, Lord, I have somebody I want you to die, uh, cause to die. I want you to cut their name off from the face of the earth. How many think that is just messed up praying? Okay, nobody. Praise the Lord. Let me, let, me, let me say this to you. That is messed up praying. Okay? If you're sitting there trying to justify that messed up praying, I've got to tell you that the Bible says to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, oh, aren't you glad we don't live in an old uh, covenant period anymore? Right? It's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is it? And so your praying now is changed. But how in the world can you get that to happen? Well, let me talk to you a little about this a little bit this morning. First of all, there are wounds that happen in our life. How do these wounds come about? I want to talk to you about several different ones, several different types. First of all, there is a wound, there is pain, there is conflict, there is stuff that comes into our life that is caused by the enemy himself. It's a direct attack of the enemy upon you to get you to walk away from God, to get you to lose faith in God. It's an attack of Satan against the righteous. It is afflicted by him. It's to get you to curse God. Let me remind you of a man. Remember this guy named Job, right? Job, old Job, lost everything. He had seven sons, three daughters. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. All right? So now, the Bible tells us the story of Job. When Job comes, uh, Satan comes against Job, he comes to get him to get him to curse God. He said to him, he said to God, let me take from him. Let me inflict pain upon him. Let me go after him, and he will curse you to your face. Do you know what the devil wants you to do? The devil wants you to walk away from God. The devil wants you to blame God for what's going on in your life. He wants you to blame God for the bad things that happened in your life, all right? So, so in an attempt to get him to curse God, he stole his sheep, he stole the camel, his servants, and then the worst of it, he lost his sons and his daughters, all of them. And then he attacked his health. And the Bible says, in all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That's quite a testimony, is it not? Quite a testimony. But see, there's somebody in this whole equation that we never talk about. We never talk about. We talk about Mrs. Job. How many know Mrs. Job? Mrs. Job also lost her camels, her sheep, her herds. She lost her sons, and she lost her daughters. We often forget that along with Job, she was wounded. She lost two. And out of this pain and out of this heartache and out of watching her husband suffer and losing her sons and losing her daughters, all of a sudden she comes out of the pain of her heart. She begins to ally herself with the enemy of her husband. What does she say? She looks at him and she says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Whoa, wait, did you get this? This is the very thing that the devil said Job would do if he stole everything off him. And now what happens? Now what happens is Mrs. Job is aligning herself with the very words of the devil. Satan was on a mission to get Job to curse God, cause Job to curse God, to inflict pain, to inflict wound. Out of the pain of her heart, she would speak the very words of Satan. Out of the pain of her heart, she would undermine her husband. Out of the pain of your heart, listen to me this morning, out of the pain of your heart, 
you may find yourself aligning yourself with the enemy of someone you love. You may be allowing pain to cause you to align yourself with the enemy of your husband's soul or your wife's soul or your children's soul. Hurting people like to be around hurting people, right? Misery loves company, don't we say that? And look on Facebook. How many know you can look on Facebook and all of a sudden some hurting person just gets on there and out of their anger and out of their pain, they just lash out. What happens? Everybody jumps on the comment section, okay? And all of a sudden we're going to join with them, okay? Ba 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 ba. And all of these hurting people are now commiserating together on social media, right? You can feel the pain, you can see the wound of their heart. All right, other, other wounded people begin to minister to other wounded people, but it's not really ministry because how many know it's actually working against them and aligning themselves with the enemy? You see, here's the deal. The deal is you've got to find healing for your pain. You've got to find healing for your heart. You must find healing for the wound because if you don't, these words will become a toll of Satan. Your attitude will become a toll of Satan against the very ones that you love. How many of you want to be a toll of Satan against your wife or your husband or your children? Oh, who wants that, right? Nobody wants that. Find the healing for the wound. You say, but how do I find it? I'll get to that in a moment. What about this one? That was the pain that comes at you from the enemy. Direct attack of the enemy to get you to curse God and walk away from God. All right? Well, how about this one? How about words that happen just from life. How many know life happens? How many know death happens? The Art family is experiencing death this week. I've experienced death. I'm, the Mara family, the Folk family just experienced death recently. Let me talk to you about words that come from life. A woman named Naomi loved this story. Loved the book of Ruth. Chick flick of the Bible. All right, you want to have a good night, guys? Get, the, get, 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 get some popcorn and, 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 and put an audio version of Ruth on. Sit in the couch, eat some popcorn. It's a chick flick for you to listen to. Amen? Think about this. Let me tell you the story about Naomi. Naomi and her husband, they went to a place called Moab because there was a famine in their own land. It says they took, and when they got there, her husband, her sons married two Moabite men. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. She goes to the land of Moab. She has a husband and two sons. Before she leaves that land, she loses her son, both sons, and her husband. Out of this pain, out of this wound, she's got a great pain. I mean, come on, there's, there's, is there any greater pain than losing your spouse and, then your, and your children, all right? And she loses them both. And this pain caused her to do a couple of things. The first thing it did is it caused her to bring an indictment against God and his goodness. We just sang here this morning a couple of different songs that talked about the goodness of God. But yet what happens sometimes is when pain hits our life, hardship hits our life, loss hits our life, all of a sudden, we look at God, and we blame him, and we can accuse him of not being good. Listen to what she said. She said, my daughters, it's harder for me than you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. God's hand didn't go against her. God's hand didn't go against her. She's blaming God for losing the sons and the father, the husband. It caused her to bring an indictment against God. Have you ever brought an indictment against God? I have. I'm going to be honest with you. I've looked at God and said, I don't like that one. I don't think you're good now. How many of you can talk to God like that? How many of you can take, look at God and have a question for God? How many of you can say, I don't know, man. You know, I, I'm not sure you got my back here. It caused her to bring an indictment. Her pain, her hardship, and her woundedness caused her to see God differently. And in an inaccurate fashion, don't allow your situation to paint a picture of God. It caused her to change her identity. This is mind-blowing to me when I read the scripture. Okay, listen to what she says. When she goes back to the land of Bethel, the women of the land see her. They're all excited. And they say, look, it's Naomi. Listen to what she says. Don't call me Naomi. 
Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? The Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. My goodness. Her pain and her hardship caused her to see herself differently. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She changed her identity based upon her circumstances. She changed her name based upon her uh, situation. The word Naomi, the name Naomi means my delight. That was what her name was, my delight. How many of you would like to be named my delight? Hmm? Uh, there's a, uh, as you know, many of you know, I did a bunch of names for the, the young people coming in on Wednesday nights. I did all their names and took what they meant and so forth. And I believe it's Kavion. Is it Kavion? I want his name. His is the name I want. It means, it means charming, chiseled, and talented. That's what the name I want. I'm changing my name. Charming, chiseled, and talented. Listen, I'm just calling the things that are not as though they are. <laughs> Naomi means my delight. Come on, that's a wonderful name. And then she says, but don't call me that. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. Mara means bitterness. Whew. Listen to me this morning. Don't allow your situation to change who God created you to be. Don't allow the hardship, the difficulty, the pain, the loss. Don't allow the death. Don't allow the sickness. Don't allow it to change who you are and who God created you to be. God created her, Naomi. God created her as his delight. God created her to be a delight. And yet she was allowing the situation and the circumstance to take that and change that and now become a different name than she was created to be. And she said, I'm going to be known as bitterness the rest of my life. No, she's not. And listen to me this morning. God is saying to you this morning, I created you. I created you with a purpose. I created you with a, 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 for a delight. I've created you for something positive. Don't allow the situation and the circumstance to turn you into what I've not created you to be. Man, my God is good. It caused her, now watch this. So not only does it, it causes her to bring an indictment against God. It causes her to change her identity, but it also caused her to instruct the path of a generation. How many know hurting parents will often raise hurting children? How many know bitter, critical parents will often raise bitter, critical children? How many know that you, oftentimes, when you see your child, you are seeing a reflection of you. Good, bad, and ugly. Like my, my daughter's birthday was yesterday. I made a little list on Facebook. Some of you saw it, the top 10 things that made her a great person. And I listed those things from 10 to 1. And I got to number 1, and I did the drum roll. And the number one thing that makes you a great person, I put, it's in the genes. And all of you said yes on her mother's side. But you are, your children are a reflection of you. All right? And some, let me say this to you. But I want to say this to you. Some of you children, stop blaming mom and dad. You don't have to be like them. Amen? Okay. All right. She's going back to Moab. To the place of God's blessing. She's going back to Bethel. The place of the people of God. And as she's on her way back, these two women, Orpah and Ruth, who are the offspring of a heathen people who are worshiping a god on Chemosh that children are being sacrificed to, they're going back with her, and she stops and she says this to them. She says, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Do I have sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return. Go back. I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? She says to Ruth later, she said, behold, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return. Hmm. Your wound, if not healed, will produce words and actions that will direct the steps of another generation. I'm not, uh, you, know who, uh, you know what I am. 
You know me. You know I believe in the, that God is the one who takes a drug addict and delivers them. He turns and he takes alcoholics and delivers them. And on and on I can go. But I'm going to tell you something. There are often times where drug addicts create a generation of drug addicts. Just as much as self-righteous generations create a generation of self-righteous people. So don't think I'm picking on the others. Amen? Just like gossips will often produce a, a generation of gossips and critics will produce a generation of critics. How many know that oftentimes your wounds, your shortcomings will produce and direct, instruct the path of another generation? All right? And, and so this is what happens. You, wounded people create wounded churches. Wounded churches create wounded people. Hurting people hurt people. Naomi, out of her pain, told Orpah, go back to Moab. Go back to your gods. Go back to Egypt. Go back to the old life. Come on. The old life is never better than the new life in God. Never, no matter what's happened in your life. You know, they believe, there's many scholars believe that Orpah, Orpah goes back to Moab. Ruth says, no, no, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. Your people are going to become my people. Your God's going to become my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. Where you're buried, I'm going to bury. I'm going with you, and you can't do anything about it. Many people believe, many scholars believe that years later, when David and Goliath met in that battlefield, we know that David came through the line of Ruth. Many people believe that Goliath came through the line of Orpah. Isn't that a tragic, tragic tale of what happens and how you can direct the path of a generation? Orpah's path was directed by the wounds of her mother-in-law. Some of you have had a path directed because of the wounds of mom, dad, brother, sister, pastor, or leader. You're heading down a path that was directed by the wounds and words of another, but you need to turn around. You need to turn around. Life happens. Wounds happen from life. And then there's some of you in this house this morning. You see, some of you know the wounds like Job. And some of you know about Mrs. Job. Some of you have lived with a Mrs. Job. And I don't mean talking about gender. I'm talking about spirit, attitude. Some of you know what it is to be Naomi. And then there's David. We talked about him. The guy with the jacked up praying, right? He was a man who was wounded. He was wounded by those who were never supposed to wound him. In this house today are people who've been wounded by somebody who was never supposed to hurt you. Might have been a mom. Might have been a dad. Might have been a brother or sister. Might have been a pastor. Might have been a leader. You were never supposed to be hurt by them. They were supposed to protect provide, and yet they caused pain. They inflicted pain. David, after he kills Goliath, begins to be in the service of King Saul, the man he served, the man he fought for, a man he loved. But his victories and his success caused Saul to become jealous of him. And when Saul became jealous of him, he began to try to kill him because jealousy always seeks to destroy that which it's jealous of. Watch that principle. When you see somebody who's jealous, they'll try to destroy what they're jealous of. Saul, so Saul mistreated him, threw spears at him, chased him, pursued him, used the army to go after him, manipulated him, threatened him. Part of Psalm 109 that we just read was the lament that included Saul. He was wounded by this rejection. He was wounded by what was going on in his life. But there's a one thing I noticed. Now watch this. There's a tragic, tragic thing about this. From the day that Saul became jealous of David and he began to hate him, Saul never had a change of heart. Never. His heart never changed. He died jealous and he died at odds with David. He was David's enemy to the day he died. But David was not his enemy. Because how many know your enemy doesn't have to be your enemy. They may hate you, but you don't have to hate them back. They may reject you, but you don't got to reject them back. They may despise you, but you don't have to despise them back. They may mock you, but you don't have to mock them back. Healthy people don't do that stuff. In the midst of the wound, like David, you're going to have a chance to get revenge. You will have an opportunity to hurt. 
you have an opportunity to inflict pain on the one who inflicted pain upon you. Don't do it. Remember the story? David could have, how many know David could have killed Saul whenever he wanted? We're talking about a bad man here. All right? He could have taken Saul out. Right? His men rose up and wanted to take Saul out for him. Listen to me this morning. You always have a chance to get revenge. Don't do it. And there's always going to be somebody who wants to rise up on your behalf and be offended for you and get revenge for you. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. Okay? In the midst of the wound and the pain, you'll have others who want to inflict pain for you, to defend you, to hurt those who hurt you. Don't do it. Don't allow them to do it. David's heart was pure. He would not attack this man. He would not destroy Saul. His heart mourned the death of David and Saul to the point that after Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead, he brought Saul's grandson into his house to be fed from the king's table the rest of his life. How many know that's a man who's been healed by God? See, it teaches us that we can be spiritually, emotionally, and mentally healthy. Listen to me for a moment. Saul died at odds with David. Saul never made it right with David. Some of you, that person who harmed you, inflicted pain upon you, some of you, those people are dead. And they never made it right. They never apologized. They never asked forgiveness. And they never made amends. Saul never made amends with David. But let me say this to you. What it teaches us is you can be spiritually, emotionally, and mentally healthy, even if the one who wounded you never has a change of heart. You don't need somebody to come and apologize for your heart to be healthy. You don't need somebody to come and ask forgiveness for you to be emotionally, spiritually, and mentally healthy. You just don't. Many people are waiting for someone to admit wrong, and you're waiting for that person to come to you and ask forgiveness. You're waiting for them to come and reconcile. You're waiting for a change of heart, and it may never come, but you don't need it to be healthy and whole. If your healing is contingent upon somebody else, they can also take it away again. Don't give them that kind of power. Don't give them that kind of power in your life. If it's dependent upon someone's words, they can steal it again with their words. Your healing is not dependent on them. Do not give them that power. You see, I, I, I've described, there, there's, this is what happens in our life. Wounds happen, pain happens, hardship happens, stuff happens. Sometimes it's like Job's Job. The enemy, listen to me, if you don't think he's real, turn on the news. Some of the stuff that's going on in our world isn't just because it's happening. There's a, there is an authority behind it. There is a principality behind it. There is a devil behind it. He's the father of lies. The Bible says he came to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And, so, and, and listen to me. And I'm going to tell you something. I'd like to tell you, believer, that you'll never be hit by the enemy. Well, I can't tell you that because I've been hit by the enemy. What do you do when you get hit by the enemy? Hit him back. Told you before, some of you need to get more gangster in your approach to the devil. Okay, enough of that thing. <sighs> I'm free. Listen to me. Of course, what do you think he's going to do? Oh, I'm so glad you're serving God. Well, I'm so glad you've decided to follow Jesus. Let me help you. Come on. Jesus says to Peter, guess what, Peter? I'm going to make you a fisherman. Guess what, Peter? Greater things than these shall you do. Guess what, Peter? I got great things planned for you. Guess what, Peter? The enemy has asked to sift you like wheat. Oh, I don't like that part of the Bible. Don't like it at all. I've described some wounds. Some of you identify with them. Some of you have been wounded by the attack of the enemy, and some of you have been wounded by life. Life happens. If you live long enough, life happens. People die. Children die. Don't like it. Parents die. Spouses die. Other things happen that are painful. Some of you have been wounded by others who were never supposed to wound you. You identify. You've lived out of this wound. You've spoken out of this wound. The wound became a filter by which you view everything else in life. Now your question is, but how do I get healed? I get it. 
I identify with it, but I want to be healthy. I want to be whole. I want to have joy. I want to have joy. I can't tell you how to get it today. And all of you say, well, great. Just thanks for wasting the last 30 minutes of my life. I can't tell you how to get it. I don't know how you will get it. I'm not here to give you the how. I'm here to remind you of the who. It's not about a how. It's about a who. It's not about a one, two, three-step process to healing. It's about knowing the one who brings you healing, who will give you joy in the midst of sorrow, who will turn your heartache into, 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 into um, celebration. It is the one that will give you joy in the midst of mourning. I'm talking about the who, not the how. Everybody wants a how. Everybody wants a how. We sell books on hows today. The one, two, three step to this. The five steps to this. The 17 steps to that. The 19 steps to this. I'm telling you about the who. The who. The question isn't how. The answer is who. I'm not here to give you a three-step plan. I'm not here to give you a seven-step plan of wholeness. I'm not here to give you a formula. I'm here to point you to the one who will bring you the wholeness and health. I'm here to point you to that one. Job said what? Job said, but I know my Redeemer lives. Listen to me. Job didn't curse God, and Job didn't walk away from God, and Job didn't blame God, but he did say one thing. He said, I know one thing, my Redeemer lives. This is what I can tell you today. I don't know how, I don't know how I got joy in my life in the midst of sorrow. I don't know how some of the stuff, but I can tell you who put it there, and I can tell you this much I know this morning. My Redeemer lives. That I can tell you. I, 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 uh, the woman of the land said to Naomi, listen, listen. So Naomi goes back and Ruth goes back with her. And, and, and Ruth marries Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who's a type of Jesus Christ. And out of that, what? There's a child that's born. And there's a couple of things that happened in that whole thing. First of all, the, he's, the, the women looked at Naomi. And they said, blessed is the Lord who's not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. Listen to me. The work of the Redeemer in the life of Ruth and Naomi is what made the change in their life. It is only the work and the relationship with the Redeemer that will bring you the health and the healing that you want. It's not going to come any other way. Let me tell you what's going to happen in your life. When you have that, it's an interesting. Ruth falls in love with the Redeemer who's Boaz. And they have this child who become, whose name is Obed. And Obed is given to Naomi to hold. And how many know she was no longer called Mara? Once again, she was Naomi. But there's an interesting portion of Scripture found in Ruth. It says, and then the women of the land named him Obed. Huh. Obed has a root with it that means worship. Huh. Isn't that funny? So here's this broken down, disheartened, this, uh, this woman who's been through all this junk, heartache, woundedness, changed her identity, brought an indictment against God. Now she's holding the fruit. She's holding the offspring between the redeemed and the redeemer. And what she held was something that the world could look at and say, that's worship. That's worship. Is what you hold out of your pain something people could call worship? David, in the course of his, said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. My words will be shaped by my rock and my redeemer. My outlook will be shaped by my rock and my redeemer. I'm not going to allow all this stuff to shape my words and shape the meditation of my heart. It is going to be my rock and my redeemer who shapes the words and the meditation of my heart. You see, how many of you have been to the doctor recently? Okay, some of you. Some of you have been there recently. Some of you are not recently. Okay. How many of you went to the doctor and told them how to get healed? 
Now, I know some of you think you're doctors. I don't go to the doctor and tell him how to get healed. I go to him, and he does the healing. He prescribes the method to the healing. I don't know how the doctor can heal me. All I know is that the doctor can heal me, okay? I don't know what the doctor will do to provide me an answer. I trust he will provide me the answer. Healing is the work of the Redeemer. Healing is the work of the Redeemer. Healing is the fruit of the Redeemer. Healing comes from the Redeemer. I don't need to know how to get it. I need to know where to go to get it and who to go to to get it. Some of you have been looking for the method and not the one who gives the method. You've been looking for the method and not the man. You've been looking for a formula rather than the one who gives you the healing. I go to him because of who he is and I let him do his work and I don't need to know, understand how it works. You know my story. My son's death is not my platform in life. My platform in life is my rock and my redeemer named Jesus Christ. My son's story is part of my life. And sometimes they tell it, not to tell us my story, but to tell his story. And I don't know why I'm going down this path this morning. All I can tell you is that somebody in here needs to hear this message this morning. That you've had pain. That pain has come from the enemy. That pain has come from people who are never supposed to harm you. Or it may come from death. I can tell you about the work of the Redeemer. And let me say this to you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something I want you to understand. The work of the Redeemer isn't in my life and wasn't in my life through the course of heartache and, and mourning because I had it down right, because I did everything right. No, no, I had thoughts that weren't, shouldn't have been there, amen? I, I had actions that sometimes shouldn't have been there. But that's the work of a father because how many know you never stop being a father when your children are being knuckleheads? raining again. Come on. Come on. It's the Father's work in you and for you. He's the comforter in the midst of the pain. He's the joy giver in the midst of the sorrow. He's the hope giver in the midst of uncertainty. I'm just telling you who he is this morning. You got to come to him. You got to trust him. I know my Redeemer lives. Because I know what it is to be given the grace to do what you don't want to do, never thought you'd have to do, and never thought you could do when you preach your own son's funeral. That's not because Pastor Jim is strong. It's because of the rock and Redeemer that holds me up. Come on. I got to point you to him this morning. I got to point you to him this morning. And if I got to use my life to do it, then so be it. I got to point you to him this morning. I know my Redeemer lives because he's the one whose grace is more than sufficient for me. That his grace is abundantly sufficient for me. He carries me see, he see, through. He sees me through. I know my Redeemer lives because he's the one that speaks to my heart in the midst of uncertainty. I've had two dreams in my life that I know without a shadow of a doubt were from God. Two. And the rest might have been pizza or God. I'm not sure. <laughs> One of those dreams came the week that my son died. And this is what my Redeemer was doing for me. Okay? I'm in my bed. It's the week my son dies. And then there was that week that I have a dream. And in that dream, it was us as a church. Weird dream. Might have been a little pizza. And we're in a parking garage type of thing. And we have evil on the run. The personification of evil, I can tell you what he looks like. I can still tell you the blonde hair. I can still tell you what he looks like. And we had him on the run. And every time, every time he would go to a run and get out and escape, I would point and somebody would cut him off. And I would point and somebody would cut him off. And he would go somewhere else and I'd point and cut him off. And we just kept doing this. To all of a sudden, in a moment of frustration, in a moment of anger, he turns and he pulls a gun. And he shoots me. And he shoots me. And he shoots me. And I remember falling, laying there. But I remember how the look in his eyes, and I remember how he pointed the gun. And I remember how he shot me. He didn't shoot me in the head to kill me quick. And he didn't shoot me in the heart to kill me quick. 
he was shooting for like the kidneys or the liver area. So it would be a certain death, but be a slow, painful, bloody mess. You hunters know what I'm talking about. And I can remember laying there, and this was the thought I had. I'm going to die here in my own blood. And all of a sudden, this thought came into my mind. I can't even say it was a voice, but this is what it was. You're not going to die. You're going to live. You're not going to die. You're going to live. And it ended. And let me tell you what I knew. The my God was telling me, you're going to want to die. You're going to feel like you're going to die, but you're not going to die. You're going to live. And you're going to live not because of you, but because of me. And I got to tell you this morning, listen to me. Some of you, you wished you would have died while you're still alive because of him. And he wants you to live. And he wants you to live life more abundantly. And he wants you to live with freedom. And he wants you to live with joy. And he wants you to live with hope. And he wants you to live with faith. The enemy has stolen it. But I'm promising you, he will give it to you. You won't die. You won't die. You haven't died. You may feel like it some days. But you haven't. But you haven't. And you won't. Because of your rock and your redeemer. Told you before, I preached a message years ago, this last past year, about the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah told the people, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. I used to think I knew what that scripture meant. Or at least I used to try. Like, what does that mean? Oh, it's me thinking of the Lord. Oh, it becomes my strength. Or it's me thinking about my salvation. Yeah. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's literally what it says. The joy of the Lord becomes my strength. It's his joy that he takes from his reservoir and he gives it to me and says, here, you need this. This will be your strength. Every day, I've told you this, I've testified to this a hundred times. Every day since my son's death, I've had joy or I've had a moment of sadness over his death. It's my son. Every day, a moment. But every day, just as sure as I've had that, I've had the joy of the Lord. Every day. Can I explain it? No. How do I get it? Don't know. It's there. It's just there. He takes it from his. says, here, you need this. I know my Redeemer lives. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. He's the one who gives me the balm of Gilead to help with the wound. He's the one that gives me a picture of the future. And I'm about ready to quit. Hold still for just a moment. Tell me you need to go. That's fine. Pastor Troy, come on. Listen to me. I don't know why I'm preaching this today. Many of you heard my story before. Some of you in here haven't heard the story. Maybe it's for you. And I was going to preach Secret Sons. I really wanted to preach that message. Someday. But this is the story. We buried that son, May 8th, 2013. Me and Peter, another couple guys. Was a, there was nobody else at the thing. My mother was there, my daughter, my, my sister. And we carried that casket to the grave. And there's where we laid to rest the hopes and dreams that I had for a son, the hopes and dreams I had for a generation, the hopes and dreams, and the future. And we laid him to rest and we buried him. The most cherished thing I had other than my daughter, I had broken my flask and poured it out. But less than 48 hours later, on early mornings of Friday, May 10th, Tony gave birth to Carson. That little whacked out bundle of joy you never knew you could be so sad and, ha- and, and mourning in the same week right it's like okay this is messed up is this a joke God what's up with this huh but all I know is God showed me a picture that I can allow the pain and the hurt of losing the son 
shape me forever. And I can only mourn the past forever. Or I can take what I held in the present and be a part of raising it to life. If I mourn that forever, I will fail this in the present. Greg Eilenberger lost Tony, his son, when he was 17 years of age. You know all about it, brother. My son and his son, head-on collision. My son's best friend. He was killed that day. My son was never right after that in many ways. But you know. Many of you know. You know. I can point all over this room. He has stolen from you long enough. The Redeemer, the Redeemer, doesn't want to just heal the past. Listen to me. Listen to me. I I can say something to you. I've been five years down this road. I miss him every day. I'm not going to tell you there's no more pain. That's stupid. (laughs) That's my son. (laughs) Some people say, oh, you had closure. Excuse me, he wasn't a book. He wasn't a book. There's no closure. He's my kid. And every day I think about him. But it does not consume me. It does not control my life. I'm saying to you today, stop allowing him to cause you to live in the past and steal your present, but steal your future. But steal your future. The question, the answer today isn't, Here's the formula. Here's the three things you need to do today. Here's the seven things you need to do today. I wish I had those. I could sell like a bunch of books. What I am saying to you is, he, it's a he. It's not a what. It's a who, not a how. And I promise you, if you'll trust him, I promise you that you will experience healing You will experience joy. You will experience hope. You will experience faith. There's things you will experience. You will experience love and peace and comfort. And then, what the devil meant for evil, God turns for good. What he means for evil, he turns for good. I don't know why I preached this today. Somebody knows why I preached this today. Somebody in this house knows why. I don't. We often quote that scripture. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. (laughs) Aren't you glad he never leaves you or forsake you? He doesn't leave you in the midst of times of sorrow and heartache. He doesn't leave you when you're being an idiot. (laughs) In the midst of those things. He doesn't leave you. Listen to me for a minute. We often quote that, like, he never leave me or forsake you. He doesn't even leave and forsake you whenever you're having moments of, uh, of faithlessness, when you're having moments of doubt, when you're having moments of confusion, when you're having moments of sorrow, when you're having moments of anger, when you have a moment. He doesn't leave you. If he left you, you would be stuck in those moments. Isn't you glad he's so faithful? sing that song that's on the list that you didn't sing that I don't like. 
<laughs> you have no idea how these God works with the two of us. Listen to me for me. I know we got a spaghetti dinner to go to. Many of you, but I, I want to do this. I want you to stand with me. And, and just, just, let's just, let's just simply say to God this morning, I'm done looking for a formula. I'm done looking for how. I'm going to turn to a who. I'm going to turn to a he. I'm going to trust my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. I know that he lives. And, and so I'm, I, I won't hold you long, I promise. But I, just want, I, want to, I want to pray over you this morning real quickly. And, and so this song is, this is uh, called Come to the Altar, right? Don't really like this song much, whatever. <laughs> I'm a hot mess. But I want you to do this for me. It's not about the altar this morning. It's about a person. It's about a person. And as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to step out and come. And it's just, a, it's just you putting faith and action together and saying, you know what? I'm done looking for formulas. I'm done looking for three-step plans, five-step plans, seven-step plans. I, I'm done trying this. I'm done trying that. I'm just going to come to him and let him be the one who heals my heart. I'm, going to be, I'm just going to come to him and let the doctor do his work. I'm not going to write the prescription for the doctor. I'm not going to tell him how to do it. I'm not going to self-diagnose. I'm not going to self-do all, anything. I, I, I'm just done with that stuff. How many want to be done with that stuff today? And so as we begin to sing this, just come on up. I can take a quick moment, pray over you. Just, just come up. But you're not coming to an altar. You're coming to a person. You're coming to your Redeemer. Saying, God, I'm coming to you. Come on, come on. Troy, sing. People, begin to come. Come on, ladies, gentlemen. Somebody break the ice and start moving.